Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. The Big Lead on The Shift. All right, uh, two brothers at the center of the controversy over the multi-million dollar student grant program spent hours getting grilled under oath Tuesday as part of the House of Commons Finance Committee hearings for the WE Charity scandal. Uh, It was terrible. Uh, Here's Aaron MacArthur. Mr. Polyev, do I have to suspend this meeting? Because I will. Four hours of testimony, at times tense, as MPs pressed Craig and Mark Kielberger for answers about their involvement in the WE charity scandal. That's right, and, and so I'm not, uh, so the floor is not yours. The brothers maintain they were not in line to profit from this. While the government publicized the deal as worth $912 million, there are no firm answers as to how much money was on the table for the charity to administer. The first time we heard about the $912 million was when it was announced. Um, we had never been um, privy to that information before. We agreed to implement the Canada Student Service Grant, according to the charity's founders, at the request of government, despite personal relationships to the organization from both the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. Opposition members on the committee prodded the charity's unusual governance structure, a separate organization, according to the Kielbergers, to protect them from liability. We were very concerned about the request that we were asked to take on a liability for 40,000 young people. Don't you get that this looks kind of dodgy to the average Canadian? The opposition were certainly frustrated. I mean, these guys are incredibly slick, but uh, trying to get straight answers. Earlier Tuesday, the former chair of the board testified about the sudden financial instability at WE prior to being awarded the government contract. I did have a number of concerns, yes. We were being denied access to the chief financial officer. We had sought um, two meetings with them, and they were both cancelled. More questions for the Liberal government about the contract and the Prime Minister's role in awarding it. Justin Trudeau set to testify under oath Thursday. See, this is where, unfortunately, I, this is where Chris is right in this conversation, because it disappoints me. Chris, damn it, don't be right, because this is terrible. I mean, they originally said, look, we're going to show up for, we've got an hour for you. And the government was like, oh, no, you don't. You're going to make four hours for us. Then they didn't answer uh, any questions. And Pierre Polyev, uh, like him or not, I think all Canadians could get behind Pierre Polyev today. Because it doesn't matter what party you're with. Because that guy absolutely hammered those dudes. Did not give up. After almost four hours into it, Pierre was still pushing the Kielbergers. I always want to call them the Kegelbergers. Uh, <laughs> Kielberg brothers uh, for more answers. Mr. Last Chair, question, like- Mr. Pelliev. Have you um, hired private and you or anyone acting on your behalf, including a law firm, ever hired a private investigators that may have looked into media personalities uh, like Mr. Jesse Brown? or reporter Jaron Kerr. Sir, if, if I may say, with due respect, you are reaching to the bottom of a barrel if Jesse Brown is now who you're quoting. to bring you a question, comments. and you're answering it. I, well, I can answer it very clearly, sir. There was a public exchange between Jesse Brown and the lawyer. You're not answering called, it. Sir, I am. Yes, Mr. Chair, I'm going to answer very clearly with two points. 
Number one, there's a public exchange on Mr. Brown's. Did your law firm hire Mr. a Mr. Polyev, your questions, Mr. Polyev, your questions are done. Uh, Mr. Kielberger has the uh, right to respond, and we we'll will just call conclude, you back if you don't answer. And we will conclude uh, with Ms. Kutrakis, I believe, uh, Mr. Kielberg. Sir, we will happily submit to you the Twitter exchange between the lawyer who was involved in the matter and Jesse Brown. It is on Jesse Brown's Twitter. It answers the question decisively. Uh, and sir, frankly, uh, you know, we've we've answered your question. Point okay. of order, Thank Mr. You. Chair. Thank point you. Order, What's your Mr. point of order? Point of order, Mr. Chair. Um, the standing orders clearly state that that witnesses are required to answer the questions put by witnesses or risk being found in contempt. The question was yes or no whether the the, the uh, witnesses law firm hired a private investigator to look into Jesse Brown and Jaron Kerr. The, 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 he refer, the, the witness then refers to a, a Twitter exchange, and I'm not interested in looking at Twitter. I'm looking for an answer. So yes or no, did your law firm hire a private investigator to look into these reporters? Yes or no? Sir, we've been here for four hours, and now you're threatening us. We just feel that this is not appropriate. There is a very clear public record on this. Yes on or no? Exchange. Yes or no? Uh, we will go to yes uh, no? we will go to uh, Ms. Kutrakis. Uh, yes. Final. How is it possible that there is um, that through all of that that there's no accountability for for not giving an answer? I don't know. NDP MP Charlie Angus also held their feet to the fire. This was a good part. I felt proud to be a Canadian the way they were dealing with this today. That's for sure. Asking why they didn't register as a lobby group. Why don't you guys register to lobby government? Happy to speak to the question, sir. So Sophia Marquez, who does government and stakeholder relations, if I may just correct you, sir, that's her title, um, engages multitude of stakeholders across provincial governments. But why don't you register to lobby? Because, sir, in, in fact, engaging the federal government is a relatively, it has never been more than uh, a few percentages of our budget. Yes. In fact, it represented last year 1.03%. But, but how, how, how little the money you get has nothing to do with the legal obligations. It's how much time is spent. So in the last month, I mean, you, you've been heavily involved in these programs with Minister Chegger, Minister Ning, uh, Bill Morneau's office is involved. Are you telling me that, you know, that somebody in your office wasn't spending at least 7.5 hours a week doing this? Because that Preparation so I'm happy to speak to that lobbying. Sir. Why don't you register to lobby? Previous okay, this time point, to answer. Thank you. Previous to this point, and on, if I may clarify this point, the government came to us to oh. ask for assistance on a program. Previous to this point, this was highly unusual for us to be spending any significant amount of time with the federal government on these type of proposals. But you're getting so lots of money from them. I mean, YMCA registers to lobby the heart and stroke foundation and they don't get nearly the kind of money that you guys have gotten so they all register the lobbying registry is full of charities except your organization and yet none of them um, say for example hire the prime minister's mother or the prime minister's brother or they have the prime minister's wife or bill morneau's daughter or fly bill, bill morneau it's the image that you're giving here is that you're getting influence by the kind of power that you have. So when you call, man, they call you. That sir, is all, all lobbying and you have an obligation and you are not meeting that obligation. 877-399-9898. So 
Uh, there's more. Like we're not, <laughs> we're not even done. But I do want to get to your calls uh, before we run out of time because I know Josh is one of the uh, most well put together, well spoken dudes uh, that we get to talk to I ever hear. So let's go say hi to Josh in Brampton. Hey man, how are you? Good sir. How's it going? Good. I'm curious. I saw your name pop up on the board, Josh, and or the on the phone board, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. What's in your mind? Wow, is what's on my mind. How the hell do you work? How the hell do you work and run a charity and not know that nine hundred and twenty million dollars is coming in, except for when you heard it on TV? Yeah, that's the best line I've ever heard in my life. Forget I wish about that everything. Would to me at work. This is not nine hundred and twenty dollars where it can slip through the cracks. Nine hundred twenty yeah. million dollars, and you heard about it on TV. Where does yeah. these guys work? At McDonald's full time, and they just do this on on the side. Yeah. Well, it seems like it. It was nine twelve, just to be thorough, as far as I know. But, but it's. Do you find this like so incredibly snaky, slippery? Um, I mean, this is well rehearsed, well prepared. These guys know the answers. They're well groomed. They they know what they're doing. The corrupt know how to dot their I's and cross their T's, and they have meetings about this crap before they do anything as far as even before getting that money, okay? The corrupt know how to dot their I's and cross their T's. If it was me or you, we'd be stuttering over there. Right. Here they sweating. are with, you know, <laughs> they're not sweating, and they're even freaking <laughs> screaming back wrong, and they're still talking as if they're right, plus two canceled phone calls to speak to their two, <laughs> their CFO, like, would we be able to cancel an audit if we got one? Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. But my favorite, I, my favorite was they don't know where the hell $920 million came into uh, <laughs> because they just heard about it on TV just well, as of recently. Yeah, and they called us. That's why we're not a lobby group, because the government called us. I mean, it'll be interesting to see who throws who under the bus sooner. That, that'll be interesting, right? Because someone's going under the bus here. And Well, um, it looks like these two guys are under the bus. From my view right now, yeah. they're, 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 the PM is not under the bus with this one. Well, I did read some articles about the schools have started to reevaluate the relationship because of the We Day and the when you're way into We Day stuff that was going on with a lot of the kids. It has clearly, clearly created um, conversation where I think school districts and school boards are not going to want to answer these questions to parents when they start to come up. So that's a good start. Very good start. But you know what? I want to know where my money's at and if we're going to get it back is what I want to know. Yeah. That well, 912, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, and I'm going yeah, with the ninth one. So the actual that? number that was moved as part of the deposit, my understanding, and maybe it's changed, was about $30 million and it's being held. And one of the texters did text in last night and did say, hey, do we get that back plus the interest, of course? Now, the interest on it probably covers the costs of moving the money and all the lawyers' fees. but Because um, veter- last I checked, veterans can't get no money and can't get, can't get no uh, dogs to help them out with their recoveries. Right veterans mm-hmm. and these guys mm-hmm. can get 900 million dollars no problems right and the, they can't yep. get a dog when they need the one. auditor general can't get 10 million dollars to do the proper audits of all this money going out the door either very interesting now the reason why this slides through is because we the people watch this complain about it for a week and then forget about it it's true we don't march down city hall or wherever hell else and wreak havoc we don't do that we're too yep. nice I agree. Maybe we should have a, a revolution every four years. Anyway, that's my thoughts, and thank you well, for your time. Well, before you go, hey, you're welcome. Before you go, if you're not too frustrated, um, do you have anything good no, news you can share with I find it today? very funny. I find it interesting. 
you got to have some good news in there in your life, Josh. Tell tell me something good going on in your life. You know what? The good news as of late, and as of late I mean a month or two, is I don't watch the news except for when these things pop up on my screen on my phone, and I, uh-huh. it follows me everywhere you go. But for yeah. me to sit down and watch TV, no. I'm living in my own little bubble, man. I put on my favorite movies. I put on my favorite songs. I'm jamming down the street. People are looking at me like I'm a psychopath because they're thinking of life. Life to me, whatever's going on right now, doesn't exist. Right, I'm man. living in a bubble, and I put myself in there where positive only. That's it. Well, that is good news. Thanks for the call, Josh. Take care, man. Take care. 877-399-9898. That's Josh in Brampton. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, texter says, no name, says stonewalling at its best. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. On the We Charity, you're not going to get any truth, Texter says. It's Dwayne. Everyone is just going to be covering their respective asses. When you're that rich, you can hire the best lawyers. And they've, they've protected themselves financially, of course, because that's what they do. Right? This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Here we are in COVID, stuck with people. Some of these people used to be our favorite people in the world. You know, they might have been just a few years ago, maybe a couple decades ago. It was like, hey, baby. And now, here you are looking at each other with a bag of potato chips in your hand going, now what? So I wanted to talk about relationships and sex. And there's one person who can, without a doubt, embarrass me and make me blush like nobody else. It's Maureen McGrath from the Sunday Night Health Show. And uh, she's here right now. Hi, Mo. Hey, good evening. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for coming in here. I I found some information and I wanted to bounce it off you that um, days of the week for doing it and relationships can change if you're scheduling sex. And I thought maybe, you know, because it's kind of we're getting things are getting hot, you know, lying in bed next to your, your, your person. You don't want to be close because everyone's cooking like but there is some there are some secrets here of how everyone's love life can still take a little boost, if you will, uh, through all this. So I want to invite you into this conversation, knowing full well that I'm probably going to blush, and this is the way things go for me. So, <laughs> how do you feel about that? It's my pleasure to talk about my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is Sex. this is where we're good at this because I get um, I get really um, I get weird about it, as you can probably hear right now. And Maureen's like, yeah, tell it like it is. Off we go. So so let's talk about that. What are you seeing in relationships, Maureen, right now um, that's going on? I mean, some people are knocking this out. And some people are really struggling looking at their partner because they don't know what to do. That's right. You know, I recognize that early on I had a significant increase in virtual consults in my clinical practice. And uh, people who, you know, were sent home to be 24-7 with their partners and they realized either they had married the wrong person or they'd had so many issues that they didn't think that they could get through a pandemic with this person. Many, many people are in sexless relationships or sexless marriages as well. And a lot of people just expected, oh, going to go home and there's going to be so much sex. It's going to be awesome. But no, with the pandemic brought a lot more responsibilities. Maybe there was job loss, increased stress, financial pressures. And guess what? It hasn't led to more sex in the bedroom necessarily. Right. Or anywhere for that matter. Or anywhere. <laughs> that's right. Or the kitchen. 
That was that's bold even for me, Maureen. <laughs> the living room, the car. <laughs> oh no! How dare you? Um, okay, so when we look at what is what is what is going on, um, you know, I read some articles online and you know, looking up some tips and stuff, thinking, okay, what can we talk about for relationships? And and one of the ones that I found the most interesting was scheduling sex, which seems incredibly square and not sexy. That's right. But I am super excited that this is actually getting some attention because, as you know, I deal with uh, people who have low sexual desire that leads to sexless marriages, infidelity, chronic masturbation and pornography, lots of trouble in the relationship. And so one of the culprits is that low sexual desire. And the reason for low sexual desire and men can have it and women can have it, but women have it at twice the rate that men have it. But fatigue is the number one reason, medical conditions, medications, there's lots of reasons for uh, low sexual desire. But probably the most common reason is that many people believe, and we've been taught from Masters and Johnson's research studies, that sexual desire comes first. It doesn't for all couples. It may come first at the beginning of a relationship, but not if you're in a long-term relationship. So, you know, you and your partner tumble into bed at the end of the day, you're exhausted and you promise yourselves you'll have sex tomorrow or in the morning and you never do it. But the problem here is that it's important to do it because doing it, you realize or accepting your partner's advances and that can happen when you've scheduled sex. So this is the time for sex. It's, it's consenting. It's mutual. We're going to have it on Monday. I think the article said Monday is fun day. Wednesday is hump day. So we're going to have it. And so even if you don't feel like having it, but you enjoy it, you experience all of the physiological responses that your body will during the sexual response cycle. And you think afterward, why didn't I do that before? And so that scheduling sex is so tied to that sexual desire, which is why I'm so excited. Is it, do you think it's different scheduling sex versus scheduling a date night? Uh, because they are kind of two different ways of courting each other, right? They're both uh, intimacy related. Uh, but, you know, I, I had somebody ask me the other day, he said, uh, can you expect desire? Shouldn't desire be the same for both people in a marriage? And I said, never going to happen. So date night might be interpreted by one person as something's going to happen after the date <laughs> after we make the dinner at home and bring out candles and put the kids to bed. Whereas scheduling sex, that's what it's about. It's straight up. That's all it is. There's no pressure to get dressed, clean the house, put on a fabulous dinner or get takeout, you know, get the kids to bed, rush off, have this dinner that might last however long, longer than the sex, most likely. So they're two, they're actually two <laughs> different things, but it's important to connect in different ways we're doing lots of duties these days in this pandemic. We're cleaning up and we're wiping down and we're wearing masks and we're sourcing products. We're working inside the home. We're homeschooling. And so we have to update our social media. Totally. That's a job. Absolutely. We're not looking good on social media these days. Um, you know, so life is very different. So it is important to connect uh, as a date night as well to sit down and to talk about things, finances, communicate about the kids the parents, how, whatever you're dealing with, work issues, finances. So that's important too. But sex is critically important to the intimacy of a relationship. And I'm all for scheduling it. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, 
I have a, a friend and her and her husband, they do what they call together time, which also makes me weird. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I feel like it, now I see that I just got weird, right? That's what I did. That's what I do right here. But, but they're, <laughs> they're so smart. Good. You, you, you called yourself weird, but your friends are smart because people often let sex fall by the wayside, especially in a long-term couplehood situation or, or in a long-term marriage. They think some, so many people have said to me, if I never have sex again, it will be too soon. I have to say it's, it's been more women who've said that than men. And so scheduling sex, you know, women miss out when they don't have sex. And scheduling sex, as long as everything's okay in the relationship, is an amazing way to keep that intimacy, that connection, and to keep the satisfaction in the relationship alive. Because there are tremendous risks when, there are, when there's no sex in a marriage. Well, when... Well, what what is no? I hate the word normal, but what would be typical then? If you're gonna, if you say like schedule it, are you like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday? Because um, you don't want to overdo it and like pull a muscle. But you know, at the same time, I mean, some of us have put on COVID nineteen pounds too. We don't want to have a heart attack here. So this is you know, true. What what would be typical? It's true. It's important to stay healthy, physically healthy, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy. So you know, of course, good nutrition, exercise every day. But also, you know, it, this is a conversation that a couple needs to have with each other. You know, what is satisfying for each one of them? What are their desires? What are their dreams, their fantasies? What, what kind of ways would they like to explore? And, you know, and how often can that be incorporated into their life? Their life might be very busy or they may be empty nesters or the, the adult kids may have come home or you know, they may be raising their children's children. I mean, who knows? Everybody has different situations. And that's why, you know, it's not a one size fits all in terms of sex for couples. And, and so it's just important that you decide if two or three times a week is, is good. That's fantastic. If somebody wants a you know, a daily, that's, you know, up for discussion as well. And, you know, and, and it has to be scheduled at a time when, it's not the end of the day. You're not exhausted. You don't have a million things going on. There is a, it isn't a stressful time. The morning is a great time to schedule a sex as well. And, and actually, you may have more frequency of sex if you schedule it at a time after you've had a good night's sleep, for example. Well, that's a good idea. Um, I'll tell you my secret, though. Okay. Chocolate. Uh, chocolate in the nightstand. I think this is my best advice for every every man who's with a woman. I like it. Right. Always keep some chocolate in the nightstand. It's I the love way it. to anybody's heart. Man. I love it. Yeah. Find I a favorite chocolate else. bar, put it in the nightstand. I have, oh, I have, yeah, another, nightstand? I have another recommendation for the nightstand, I should say. Oh, <laughs> Dare I say it? Right, Tell me it's a nail file. Tell me it's a nail no. file. Yeah, you could say it. You might as well now. No. It's a device. <laughs> yeah. It's and a device. It's, a device. it's, it's extra batteries. It's called uh, a womanizer. And the womanizer used to be associated with pain, and now it's associated with pleasure. It's, it's actually a clitoral stimulating device uh, for women. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's a good idea to have that in your night table because that can also increase your sexual desire. Um, you know, it, and it also can help mentally, emotionally, and help you sleep and reduce stress. So, again... Uh, solo sex is the safest sex, <laughs> um, but you can also bring that in and kind of, you know, excite, make things a little bit more exciting in the bedroom. Um, but that's a great device for women. And I often recommend it for women in my clinical practice and, and they love it. 
Yeah, and the um, there's nothing worse than solo sex and then getting rejected from that one because that's tough to recover from. This is true. Um, I did want to tell you, <laughs> I did want to tell you that I've been doing my eleven thousand kegels a day, and uh, it's going well. That's excellent because that's going to increase the blood flow, and sex is about blood flow, and uh, erections are definitely about blood flow. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> Yeah, if I could stop making this funny face when I did it, everything would be much better in public, that's for sure. Exactly. Um, uh, Maureen McGrath with the Sunny Nail Health Show. What are the socials and the access points that everyone can find you that doesn't get a chance to listen to the show, Maureen? Well, uh, I'm just about to launch uh, a, a startup virtual health clinic for women's intimate health, where we're dealing with urinary incontinence, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low sexual desire, and sexless marriages. So that's getcleopatra.com. Uh, you can always go to my website, MaureenMcGrath.com, to learn about all the different things that I do. And, um, of course, I'm on Twitter and uh, on LinkedIn, so people message me all over the place. But uh, you can always tune into the Sunday Night Health Show on Chorus in the uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. PST. All right, there it is. She makes me blush, but she's my favorite. <laughs> Maureen McGrath, thank you for the time. Thank you so much. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. As we were prepping for the program today with uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we were we were sort of talking about, you know, what do you want to do? What do you do these things? And and then I sort of asked the question, have we ever really said who Chris is? Like he sort of <laughs> pops into the show every now and then and, and some people confuse his accent of where he's from. And, and I thought, you know what, let's how do we introduce a dude? You know, we could say, hey, there he's in the yellow shirt, for example. Um, he's a dude who wears yellow shirts. Like, what do you do? What do you say? Right. So I thought, okay, well, we had a bit of an idea. And before you get started here, uh, Chris, I, I thought, okay, let's grab a couple of stories that you're interested in and let's just get to know Chris and we'll tell a couple of stories and share a couple of things. It seemed like a a good way to go. But before we do that, uh, Matt also was feeling kind of inspired here. So whatever that means, do your thing, Matt. In case you missed it on the radio, here's New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Yay. <laughs> so that's, Thanks, that answers the one question, right? You're not an Aussie, right? Let's be clear on that. I'm not an Aussie. No, I've been to Australia twice, and that's it. And that's uh, no, I'm definitely 100%, well, mostly New Zealander. Yeah, not an yeah. Aussie. All right. Is that, is that offensive? Would that be like someone saying to a Canadian, oh, American, Canada, it's the same? You know, I, uh, New Zealand's got such a little brother syndrome with Australia, to be honest, that I, I think New Zealanders all care about it and Australia's, Australians just don't care. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel like uh, if, if a New Zealander back home was trying to be very Kiwi and very, like, you know, like folksy, they're like, oh, Australian, oh, they, they, they wouldn't have any have have it really you know they would they wouldn't like it but i i think um everybody literally anybody else in the world including myself because i'm not in new zealand um we don't really care so much <laughs> i find it pretty understandable that um i sound exactly like an australian so well, I do, well actually you know matt does a really good difference uh matt's accents between <laughs> australian and kiwi are very, very different. I, I don't know if you've heard him do it, um, but Matt, can you clarify the difference between the accents there, please? Yeah, no, they're, they're very different because, uh, yeah, Australians are like, where's the car? And uh, New, New Zealanders are like, where's the car? See, so it's exactly, it's like they're so different. Like so different. I don't know how anybody would confuse them. 
I can actually uh, point out the, the exact difference between the New Zealand and the Australian accents, if you like. <laughs> okay, please and do. It, <laughs> yeah, the, the Australian accent is, um, and this is kind of a joke that I think New Zealanders might pick up on what you just said, uh, Maddie. But the the Australian accent is a bit more whiny. It's a bit more like, yeah, a bit more back of the throat. And, you know, they say things like Sydney, you know, it sounds a bit like that. It's a bit cutesy. Whereas the New Zealand accent, um, every vowel sounds exactly the same. So, like, we only say A, A, E, E, O, U would just be A for us. So They're all the same. That makes sense. They're all the same. It makes sense. So like New Zealand, they like to eat fish and chops. That that's more like what New Zealand is like. Listen to Tom Fun. Yeah, is that Tom Fun? Exactly. Tom Fun. I love I love Tom Fun. Tom Fun. He's bloody legend. He's that, legend. Like him, yeah. <laughs> See, now I've lost you. I'm like I'm like I have no idea now. And now I, I hear another, it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. that, that's the that's the, that's the very subtle difference between um, I would say a rural Australian accent and a rural New Zealand accent. All right. This is good. I think this is interesting. This is uh, this is kind of stuff. So when you were uh, had the idea, and we don't have to get through them all. We can save a couple for oh. tomorrow, even. Uh, but what oh. um, said? Okay, well, okay. So what would Chris get for a couple of stories that you thought were interesting or funny or whatever for people? So where did you take us? Okay, so uh, I'll just say that Matt also knows this is that uh, if I'm left to my own devices, I usually take the show down weird avenues and um, kind of just focus on niche topics such as um, how, uh, you know, COVID-19 is affecting Papua New Guinea. Um, and we'll do that for eight minutes. Um, but today I thought we'll keep it a, a little bit more lighthearted. Um, yeah, it was so, definitely yeah. on the minds of everybody how Papua New Guinea is doing today. <laughs> but it's not on the minds of everybody. And that's the problem. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that tonight. <laughs> we're going to talk about um, emus. And this is actually a, a story from Australia. Uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the, uh, what do they call it over there, a territory, a state? The state, the state of Queensland, the great state of Queensland on the east coast of Australia. Uh, rural Queensland is about as rural as you can get, I think, pretty much in Australia. And there's a place called, oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. Where is it? Yakara? Yarakara? Yaraka. It's a tiny little town. It's only got one pub and they've got an emu problem. And uh, they had to ban the emus from their pub. And uh, there should be, um, I think I sent you through a story there, Maddie. Oh, yeah, I got it right here. Uh, let's, let's, let's listen to the story. Pub owners in a tiny Queensland town have made the tough call to ban two of their favourite patrons. The emu siblings have been told they're no longer welcome at the establishment in a decision sure to ruffle plenty of feathers. The Yarraka Hotel seen its share of rowdy guests over the years, but this pair has really got everyone in a flap. Kevin and Carol the Emus have become the first patrons in the hotel's history to be banned. In a town with all of about 12 people, it's quite the scandal. Well, we put the sign up, but we're not quite sure whether they're able to read or not. So. Um... So we've had to put a bar across there as well. The decision to ban the two-bird mob wasn't made lightly. Their list of offences against the common decency is staggering. Somebody having a cup of tea and they had a tea bag in it and uh, the emu came along and just took the tea bag out of the cup. They've been quite unruly and they won't use the facilities. Something's getting too cocky, isn't it? Come on. Well, let's just say they can make messes 
that are very difficult to clean up. At one point, the pair looked set to take over the pub. Carol got behind the bar and Kevin potted around waiting tables. And the comment was, oh, it was great. Here we've got a, uh, a long-legged chick behind the bar. And somebody said that Kevin had ordered a long neck. So the corny jokes came thick and fast with that. Leanne raised nine emus from a nest found abandoned three years ago. Are you guys today? All of Carol and Kevin's siblings have since flown the coop, but these two are hanging around. <laughs> they do come home of the night and they nest up next to the, the fence and stick their head up every now and then. Um, um, but they're lovely, they're really nice to have. Provided, of course, it's not their shout at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> they're stealing their yeah. tea bags. Yeah, I, I really love that. You're worried about tea their... bags. Their, their names are Karen and Kevin. Excuse me. Carol and Kevin show some respect oh, to the emails. Sorry, yeah. Carol. And Thank you. Kevin. <laughs> I, I do like that he said that they're the first patrons ever to be banned from that bar, which is 100% not true because I don't know if anyone's ever listening ever been to a, a rural Australian bar before. But I once was in a town called Tully, which is the kind of town that still has a haberdashery, if that means anything. And I went into a bar there, and I was dressed pretty. I've been camping for a while, so I was like, had had a shower in a week, and I was like wearing an old singlet and like shorts with holes in them and like flip flops and stuff. Oh. And I walked in there, and this place was so hostile. You could, it was like a record scratch when I walked in the room. You know, I got the "you ain't from around here" look. So like the, the the rural Australian pub is not exactly the most hospitable place in the world for outsiders. But yeah, I feel bad for the emus, you know. I, that's very heartbreaking for the emus. I would agree. I can't believe it. That's terrible. I, I, I haven't They're done with big, the emus the yet. They oh, are big. Okay. They're terrifying. They've, they've also got these animals in Australia called cassowaries. Have you guys ever heard of a cassowary before? I think no. it got brought up at some point on the show. Uh, how do you even spell? Oh, hold on. They're birds, right? Yeah, they're just like an emu, but they live in the forest, so they live in the bush, and they, they are just much more aggressive. So... Um, the emu, the emu likes to live in a, a large open plain expanse, but the cassowaries are like more like velociraptors. They like to run through the trees. Velociraptors? Uh, yeah, if you if it you sounds like they through, both sound like Canadian geese is what they sound like to me. They both sound like Canadian geese, mean and nasty, and they'll chase you. Just as terrifying, for sure. Yeah, but uh, if if you drive through Queensland, like you'll drive through the rainforest or whatever they have on the coast there, and there'll be signs warning you about cassowaries on the side of the road. It's like the bear of a. Sh no, there's way more dangerous things in Australia, but it's like the bear of the Queensland jungle. Um, hmm. But I will just point out that in the story that I read about this, I really like um, the way they describe these emus. Um, what does he say here? He's like boasting about it. Here, he says, if you've got a mug of coffee on a little table by the door, they will drink all the coffee without spilling it, I might add. You just discover that your mug's empty, and they're just, they're just eating machines. And I just like how this guy from the story is just boasting about how clever these emus are at drinking his coffee. It's great. But it, how do you not notice there's an emu inside your bar? Oh, he says that too. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Oh, here. Uh, he's talking about his trailer now, and he says, they'll lean through the trailer door with their long necks and just pluck toast right out of the toaster. <laughs> so there you go. They, they just stick their head in and have a sip of coffee, have some toast, and go on their way. These guys are menaces smart. to society. Yeah, they're smart, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is have you this guys... Is... Um, 
it really reminded me of the story um, in New Zealand. We had this penguin called Happy Feet, which stole the um, the heart and mind of the nation for like a week, where everyone went mad about this this penguin that was in the news all the time. And I was just wondering if you guys had ever had anything in Canada where like an animal had caught the imagination of the country. Oh, well, there was in Calgary. There was a um, there was just a turkey um, that just got away, and he was they called him Turk Diggler. And uh, he, he, they think he got away from from like a, a, a yeah, the stampede grounds, like from a, a educational. They've got the agro building there where they do the animals and they do the shows for the kids and stuff. And they think uh, he escaped from that. And so he was living in and around downtown and he was a male and he was looking for a female and he was everywhere all over the city. And they just found out last week that they figure he got uh, he got got by a coyote. And uh, oh. he ended up being launched. He never found because he was like all he was all ruffling his feathers and primping himself up in front of the the reflective windows, and then yeah. you know looking for girls, thinking that he was finding other girls. But yeah, they called him. Uh, he was all over downtown, sort of on the east side and the south side of downtown. He was everywhere uh, looking for a mate, and uh, yeah, Turk Diggler, and he finally um, ended up being launched. Wait, wait. So this turkey was just hanging out and. In downtown for for how long? Oh, it was weeks and weeks and weeks. Like I I, I don't recall exactly how how long it was there for, but I would say it's got to be ten weeks that that did, thing did was alive. The, it was in around Ramsey and all these other neighborhoods. Yeah, no, I didn't personally, but it was it was uh, the pictures were everywhere. It was all over the place. Oh man, I can see why yeah. that's a big story. If there's a turkey just hanging at this escape, just hanging out downtown, you know. Well, if you Google Turk Diggler, it'll come up Turk Diggler Calgary. And um, Calgary, it'll just come right up. It's everywhere. It's all over there. It was Aww. a coyote that figured got him. Oh, poor Turk Diggler. Yeah, it's actually a very <laughs> similar story with Happy Feet. Um, Happy Feet in New Zealand was an emperor penguin. There are no emperor penguins in New Zealand, but he washed up very close to my hometown of Wellington. Uh, when I say washed up, I think you know he land. What what do penguins do? Slide. Land, he barely slid on, into the country on his belly. And, um, but he was hanging out on this beach. And he, uh, it was a very sad story because he um, thought he was still in Antarctica. And he was eating the sand thinking it was ice or snow, you know, to you know, hydrate. And obviously got very sick. So uh, he had to go to Wellington uh, Zoo with a vet are to you know look after an emperor penguin, and uh, he went he went under surgery for like days and days and days. He he was like recuperating and you know recovering in, in, in the zoo hospital for ages. And in the meantime, there was this whole story in the media like, oh my god, we're spending thousands of dollars on a penguin. That's not even our penguin. We don't get to keep it. We have to send it back. It's an outrage. The taxpayer dollar on this penguin. And then there's the other side being like, hey, you know, what is New Zealand if not a lover of penguins? You know, we have to look after the penguins. <laughs> as long as it's not you stealing know? your tea bag. It's, well, yeah, right? exactly. It's better than an emu. In Australia, they've got emu problems. You know, we right. just got a penguin. Exactly. Yeah. So what happened was they looked after the penguin. It was fully recovered. It came back to health. And they sent it all the way down to the bottom of the country, all the way to Stewart Island, the southernmost point, just to like give it a push into the ocean, like go, you know, go that way, go back south. And they put a little tracking device on it, and it, and it went off swimming back to Antarctica. And that tracking advice, that tracking device, for like three days, was like beep, 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 and then after three days, just nothing. And Watch. they found out that after all of that, exactly, 
it was probably eaten by <laughs> eaten by a shark or like no oh, god all that yeah. money spent thanks for listening to the podcast tune into the show online or on the radio